Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Seamus Murphy and today I am in SSE Consulting's office in Stranraer with Agricultural Consultant Seamus Donnelly. So Seamus, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hi, although it seems strange saying hello to another Seamus. I've been over here a bit longer than you. I've been over in Stranraer office now for just over 30 years. Uh, my background came off a dairy farm worked in Dumfries, did the degree in soil science, worked in Dumfries, giving a lot of genius advice, and uh, then went and spent four years at Buclue Farm Management before coming back over here to Stranraer, and I've been here ever since. Brilliant. This morning we were out on a few different farms looking at different methods of slurry storage, predominantly slurry lagoons. When a farmer comes to you looking to expand his slurry storage, what's the first thing you would get them to do or guide them? I know the first thing the farmer wants to know is whether there's grunt on it, <laughs> but we'll set that to one side, we'll mention a wee bit more about that later. The thing, I would put it down to three S's. Uh, it's basically, where's the source that's contributing to the slurry? Because slurry comes from the animal, but also that, that dirty water that's been running off the silage pits or running off dirty yards has to be collected somewhere and usually will end up in the slurry pit. So it's the source. The size is obviously dependent on the quantity of stock you've got, the stock numbers, the storage period. In most cases, you're looking for at least 154 days, 22 weeks, certainly if you're in NVZ. But the reality is, and we saw that last year in 2016, that heavy, heavy rain, we really need seven-month storage to keep everything right. Um, and then you're also looking at the third thing that would dictate the size would be the amount of added water. And I'll come back to that in a wee minute. And the third S is the sighting. Do you want it sighted in the steading or away from the steading? We've had a lot of good success in the last 10 years sighting these lagoons away from the steading. And the benefit there is that it gives you the opportunity to pump from the steading one lift to the lagoon. And then you can go again, uh, pump again using the umbilical. And that gets you out to a lot of these fields that you maybe don't actually manage to get too much slurry too because at the far end of the farm. We did a study, oh, it must be about seven years ago, into an area around Stranraer. We discovered that whenever you soil sampled, we soil sampled most of the farms with this ring of confidence, very high P, high K in the fields immediately around the steading. And that was understandable because even on the grandfather's day, they would have gone out with uh, small dung spreaders or slurry spreaders spread to the nearest fields, even umbilical. We've extended that ring of confidence out to be 800 metres. But what we're trying to do with sighting the pods, and it seems to work on a lot of farms, is actually to move the slurry storage closer to where you're actually going to be uh, spreading it in the end. So that's the three things I'll be looking at, the, the source of the water or the slurry that's been produced, the size and the sighting. Coming back to size, how can you... Uh reduce the quantity of water, of clean water that's kind of getting into your slurry storage? If I was sizing, sizing a, a slurry store, I normally say it's maybe a dairy farm, just work roughly on the basis of about 20 cube uh, per cow for a 200 day winter. But within that, it'll depend very much on how much water has been collected. Now, there will be water that you have to collect, as I mentioned, off dirty yards, and silage pits, but even there, you can reduce that by 
you know, maybe not every yard needs to be dirty. The other thing you have to watch, and you see it a lot in farms, it's some shed roofs, maybe the room is broken or the downpipe is broken and suddenly you've got clean water dropping onto potentially dirty yards and you get that admixture and then suddenly that all has to be stored, put into the store. With the farm last year, we did the calculations, walked around Steden and we picked up that there was a lot of clean water that was becoming dirty and it was coming off three roofs, uh, quite big roofs, but it came to, it was equivalent to five cube a day. So over a 200 day winter, that was a thousand cube. That would be the equivalent holding capacity for 50 cows in terms of the amount of slurry being produced. So that 1,000 cube, 220,000 gallons of clean water that didn't need to go into that store, if we could keep it clean, that's equivalent to 100 tanker loads at the end of the winter. So the first 100 tanker loads every winter was actually clean water. So the farmer has got a, a, he actually went into a scheme, built a lagoon, but was very keen to actually separate the clean from the dirty water and has ended up with sorting that problem. Or what are the benefits of choosing a lagoon over your standard slurry tower? Well, the cost is probably the, the, the one that most people now are latching onto. But even whenever there were substantial scheme, grant schemes going, uh, down in Wigtonshire, we would probably had, would have seen probably 60% of the slurry stores were lagoons and maybe another 25% would have been slatted tanks and 15% would have been ring tanks, the steel tanks. We're a maritime um, country and steel does rust. But it's also the capacity you can get. The typical cost for a lagoon will be somewhere between 15 and 25 pounds a cube. Now, if you compare that to a ring tank, it'll be about 50 to 65 pounds a cube. So straight away, you've got a, a good saving in cost, excepting that you will, they'll not just be as deep as a ring tank, so they'll gather a wee bit more rainwater, but still it's a very cheap and effective way of getting a lot of storage in. And that's what we're finding. Even six, seven years ago, uh, that study was talking about, on average, farmers only had about 25% capacity. They were lucky if they had 45, 50 days storage when really we were pushing for as a, uh, 180, 200 days. Um, and we're finding that even yet. Um, we recently put in 17, 18 farmers into schemes and they were, on average, had capacity for 64 days um, and we're needing to get up to 180 days. And that's probably what we're needing on, on the farms is just to be able to have this volume of capacity. Because the benefit really there is that once you store it, once you reduce the clean water, first of all, once you collect what you should be collecting and once you store it, you then have it available at the end of the winter to go out and start spreading and get some savings in fertiliser against that. So when we were out this morning, we saw uh, some different designs of slurry lagoons. Do you want to say something about the different types of designs that you've worked on? Uh, there's probably no... Everybody thinks it's just a hole in the ground, but uh, there's no standard type as such. The first thing I'll say is think about where you're going to locate it. Is it going to be on the side of the steading or away from the steading? We saw one this morning where the guy had, in the past, he had been pumping from a cross-channel light, a cubicle shed, into a, a steel tank. He has 
and the steel tank wasn't big enough, but he's been able to now add on a lagoon and been quite clever and it's all now working with gravity. And the secret there was across the channel they put a couple of lips on to keep the slurry flowing. Uh, slurry will flow on a bed of water, but you need that lip at the end, otherwise it gets dried out and not actually run. But he was actually got a system, and by doing it that way and designing it that way with gravity, gravity feed into the lagoon, he has cut out one job that he used to have to do in the past, which was pump the slurry from the reception pit every so often. So that, that was one. The second we saw was a wee bit different insofar as um, he had decided he would have a lagoon further away from the steading and he gathers the slurry in uh, a concrete uh, lagoon before pumping it across to a lagoon which was about 800, 900 metres away. That one works well. So pro- probably the thing I would say is don't build a lagoon and close yourself out round the steading. You don't have to do that. I can think of somebody uh, that has got a very tight steading because it's near a town. The suggestion there was that space that he might have used for a lagoon next the cubicle shed was actually valuable if he needed young stock sheds in the future. It was, it was quite a simple task to pump from an existing reception pit away about 300 metres to uh, a lagoon in a field and the beauty there is that it also meant he didn't have slurry tankers going in at milking time. So it solves a wee bit of the management roundabout the farm steading. Yeah, so they're flexible and they can be f- changed to fit yes. whatever system. Yes. Um, if a farmer decides that he's going to go for a lagoon, uh, what's the next step here? He obviously has to do, CEPRO will be wanting to see a waste management plan and that's that's important because that's one step in trying to assess the size. Uh, I always take a good walk around the farm with the farmer around the steading because I want to pick up any weak points and that's things like rones that are needing sorted or dirty yards that could, with a wee bit of thought, become clean yards or even it could just be down pipes, uh, not run into the pipes. So start with that lead on from that and do the waste management plan because that's basically a sizing of the lagoon. Uh, I have to see that and then you can go on and if they're happy, if you're going for grant, fine, there's another process you'd have to go through. But assuming that you're not going for grant but you still need that capacity, next thing you'd do would be engage a, a good contractor, an experienced contractor. It's not something that just can sit in the back of a digger. They have to be built in a certain way. Those contractors that we use three or four in the scenario area, they've been tried and tested. They know how to build it. They know know how to move earth. But they also work with their own structural engineers to make sure the thing is built to the right standard. There's, There's guidance that you have to adhere to if you're going to look for building warrant. Building warrant is something, if you're building any slurry store, you'll need to have, so you need to go and speak to your local council. Planning permission, if you're building a lagoon, um, you may not need or shouldn't need it unless certain caveats apply. The main one would be if you're within 400 metres of the cartilage of a protected building, and that usually would be a house that either the farmer or his farm worker doesn't live in. so if it's within 400 metres, not only would you need to go for planning permission, 
it would need to be full planning permission. Having satisfied yourself whether you need it, whether you need full planning or whether you don't need any planning, you've lined up a contractor. One of the things we're finding is, I spoke to a contractor last week and he said, we started this too late uh, in the autumn. If we had been able to get into the job mid-summer, he says we could have saved a lot of time, a wee bit of money on the moving the soil. It makes more sense to be shifting soil in the summertime whenever it's dry or likely to be dry. So get your contractor geared up that he's got a slot in the middle of the summer to be able to come in and do the work. You need to think what liner you're using. If you're going for grant, you will have to use a plastic liner. And even if you're not going for grant, the opinion would be from Scottish Government, I haven't spoken to SEPA recently, they would certainly want prefer that you used a plastic liner. What I would say is, look about, there'll be certain liners that are approved by SEPA. So again, go and give them a call and just make sure that the liner that you're proposing to use or the contractor's proposing to use is one of the, is one of the approved ones. We tend to be seeing a lot of the Butylex, the heavy plastic. Um, it can be as thick as 2mm. And that is proven very adaptable for putting onto the lagoons because you can weld it, you can plastic weld it. And that's gone down well. The earlier lagoons tended to use uh, Geotex, uh, a, a finer product. And one of the problems we had was you had to actually size the lagoon quite accurately. And you pre-ordered it. And whenever it arrived as one big parcel, you opened it up and had to then position it into the into the lagoon and that took I think 10 or 12 men if you, it was close. if you played rugby you could probably get the team in to help out but for handing this now more people are going to the heavy plastic or HDP the bootleg style and working with that so that's you've decided your liner you've got your liner you've got your structural engineers already told you the camber you're working to whether it's one and one and a half or one and two and then you get at it and you start the building, you put the liner in. When we wrote this morning, there was some chat about uh, detection systems. Yes, obviously, you build a lagoon, and then the expectation is that that liner should be secure and doesn't leak. So um, there's a requirement that you put in a detection system. Basically, uh, it's a series of drains across the base of the lagoon before you put down the liner and those drains grade to one point from that point whether it's outside the lagoon or whether it is a pipe going down the camber of the lagoon the aim is that you can put something down and sample the water so at least if you get a leak that's an early warning system and I've seen both sides have been done both types been done inside or taking it right outside um, we think I should have said in the construction that I maybe didn't say uh, you, when you're deciding where to site the lagoon make sure it's well away from existing drains and you should be at least 10 metres away and, and the same goes for uh, your detection system you don't want it sitting close to a drain what, what kind of health and safety do you have to think of uh, when you're building these or what's the regulations around health and safety right. The, the very minimum um, would be a 1.3 metre fence, but the reality is nearly everybody's going for a child-proof fence uh, about two metre high. 
and some are putting in the concrete posts, some are putting in the metal posts. But basically, um, that I think is a, is what everybody should be. It's just good practice. You can either site that on the top of the embankment or further down at the bottom end of the embankment on the other side of the lagoon. It's your choice. So that's the first thing. Coupled with that should be, uh, if you are planning to go into the lagoon, uh, say to mix it or that, would be decent gates that are lockable. Um, so there's no risk of children getting in um, or animals getting in. I've seen one or two farmers down there, down this winter, and what they've done is actually, where they know they're going to go into pump, they will actually put a bit of crash barrier across so that there's no risk that if somebody's going into pump, he's going to go down too too far, uh, or even to draw off slurry. So I think that's a good idea. And one other one, which I don't think it's happened, but in the unlikely or event that somebody was to fall into the lagoon, we keep saying put some tyres and tie the tyres together and throw them down at the corners of the lagoon so at least you might be able to get to that point to scramble back out again. But that would be particularly true wherever you're pumping from. We're trying to get farmers to think about pumping out of the lagoon. Um, there's two schools of thought. It should either be a pipe laid in the lagoon at an angle and maybe run it through a one guy did it with a 45 gallon drum and that stopped the pipe meandering and you can pump from there all the way up to the top. Most slurry tankers will pump about three and a half to four metres, your conventional 2,000 gallon or 1,600 gallon tankers. Others are actually now being a wee bit clever and they're actually, when they're building it, are actually putting a, a pipe running through the earth wall at the side now this doesn't necessarily need to be at the bottom, they'll maybe do it two-thirds of the way down and that means that it's a lower lift because they actually, it comes through the wall and then on the lagoon side there's a curved pipe that actually runs back down again to the floor so it means it's a shorter lift. What they have to remember on the other side is because that will be potentially gravity fed out they need to have um, two lockable valves to stop slurry run on, on out and that's something that's again Seaford would insist on building warrant should as well Once the slurry lagoon is built what kind of management or maintenance is required? It might seem a wee bit odd but one of the things people have to do is remember to go and empty it and empty it in time we're trying to get farmers to start seeing slurry as a valuable asset that if you want you can actually apply that well you should be applying that when you grass through the summer time in the optimum conditions, rather than this emergency, uh, either at the back end or through the winter, just go in there to empty, uh, empty the lagoon. We did see one farmer built a new uh, million gallon lagoon and had forgotten to empty it through the summer and it came to October in that wet year and he had a big problem because the lagoon was sitting, sitting full. So good management, start using it as part of your fertiliser programme and saying, right, you know, I'll get it on after each cut of silage. We have seen one farmer has been quite clever, and I think it's maybe the way a lot of dairy farmers could go, is to look at slurry separation. And what he has done is slurry come out of the existing slatted tank from the cubicle shed, previously would have been pumped straight into the uh, ring tank. 
He was light of capacity. He needed some lagoon storage. He actually um, put a separator at the end of the slatted tank and he allowed the liquor to run into his existing ring tank and the solid stuff fell into a small midden they built. And then he pumped that once a month up to a new lagoon that he built uh, about 400 yards away. The beauty of that is whenever that separated material comes out, there's no fibre in it, so it doesn't burn the grass as quick. And he's been able to use it throughout the summer uh, on his dairy cow grazing fields because it doesn't leave the same taint because he's using a dribble bar and he's getting it right down in. And I think that's something a lot more farmers will be looking at if the price of fertiliser keeps it the price it's, it's at. So you mentioned grants earlier on in the podcast. Uh, what grants are there available for farmers? Well, the good news is the grants are still available. I think it's something Scottish government needs to be given a lot of um, credit for. Way back six, seven years ago, whenever the SRDP started, this was one of the eligible items that they said should be supported. And that continues. Uh, you have to be a wee bit more careful. First of all, the grant is there, but you have to decide, are you eligible? Are you within a certain area? And SEPA have outlined an area. And if you go online, you can actually check whether your farm is eligible within that or not. Um, just put in the farm code number and it'll tell you whether you're eligible. It's a slurry storage. It's a water quality target area, ex- excluding nitrate vulnerable zones. And I'm looking at a bit here and I know that in Rheinstrenar, yes, we still have some areas that are eligible. So the important thing, first of all, go online, check if you're eligible to get the grant. Are you within a, a priority catchment area? Are you within maybe one of the bathing water initiatives? A lot of the ground up around Ayrshire will be. Um, so that's the first thing. So if I'm eligible, uh, what grant am I able to get? It's no longer uh, a percentage grant based on actual cost. It's a standard cost grant. And if anything, that's made it easier for, I think, farmers to, to work towards and also to claim back again. And it's certainly working well. We've done, as I said earlier, 17 schemes in the last two years. And it's bringing a lot of money in. What What's eligible, first of all? Slurry storage, it's £15 a cube. Regardless of whether it's a lagoon or slatted tank or ring tank, it's £15 for every cube of extra slurry storage over what you've got already compared to what you would need for 180 days. But they will only pay to a maximum of 2,000 cube. So it doesn't matter whether you've worked out your figures and you need 3,000 cube, they'll still only pay on the first 2,000. You still have to build it to 3,000 cube because you build to what you need and you get the grant based on that. But they will support the first 2,000 cube, £15 a cube, so that's £30,000 for basically the, the tank or the lagoon. There's also support base drainage, £1,500. There's a bit of support for fencing at £5.50 a metre. And there will also, believe it or not, be for a pump, if you want to get a tractor pump to put it out, is £4,000. So we're finding that whenever you do the figures, it's somewhere around £37,000, £40,000, £44,000. That would normally include a reception tank. So if you need a a pit to actually pump to the lagoon, uh, they'll fund that. 
It sounds good at £234 a cube, but it's limited to probably about three days pumping capacity. Um, but it certainly does help to cover you know, what you find is probably a, a, a reasonable cost. I should have said, I think I've already said, the grant is for all slurry storage, be it ring tanks, slats or lagoons. But so down here we've tended to go for using it to fund lagoons. You can apply up till the 12th of April if you were doing diffuse pollution as part of the remedial works. We tend to work more with just standalone slurry storage tanks and the deadline for that is the 26th of June. So you've got a wee bit of time to start thinking and get the thing in. The application form is pretty straightforward. The waste management plan you should already have and you make sure that SEPA, I think it's a good idea. We work closely with SEPA down here to, uh, if somebody's interested in slurry storage, we will always either get the farmer to go along or we'll send a copy of the waste management plan just to know that there's a farmer uh, wanting to actually improve what he's got. In that, as part of the application, you need a couple of maps. You need to show what where all the clean water and dirty water is in the farm, all the different drains going through a steading, where the downpipes run to, whether there's any issues you want to tidy up, um, and finally a location plan for the works. You'll be notified probably the following December, January, if successful. And then it'll be important that you engage cons- the contractors ready to go and take advantage of the work this spring. So most of our boys that were told they were, they were successful a month ago, we've already suggested they should go along and speak to the contractors and set the ball rolling to make sure they get the job done over the summer. And can you tell us a bit about these meetings that are coming up in the southwest? We've organised a series of six meetings and the main aim for that was to try and make sure everybody was in the same wavelength in terms of need for planning, building warrant, sizing, uh, choice of liner, um, even down to the structural side and then looking at getting slurry in, getting slurry out. And I think it'll be a good meeting because the majority of them are all on farm. But before that, there'll be a series of speakers uh, we have got um, speakers from SEPA, uh, from the department, will tell you more about the grant side, and also from a few case studies from farmers who have actually built lagoons in the last 12 months, 18 months. Because I think it is important that they, they are constructed right. It is more than a hole in the ground. We're targeting the farmers who this year have got approval, but we're also targeting the farmers who may need more storage. Whether they're going to get the grant or not going to get the grant, the bottom line is they're still needing more storage. So it's important that they come along and see just what they could maybe do uh, themselves to move their business forward and avoid any risk of uh, cross-compliance. And it's also targeted at building contractors. Um, we've been fortunate the last seven or eight years, we've had um, our main contractors have all been building tanks of different types and most of them have built lagoons. They know the way around it. They know how to construct them safely and correctly. And But it's maybe a new um, job that some of the builders are doing in other parts. And I think we're trying to reach out to them as well and say, well, come along and listen and find out about the things that they're going to have to be aware of in terms of building warrant and um, 
planning permission, etc. Um, those six meetings were kicking off on the 21st of February at Lanark. Uh, next day is Ayr, the 22nd. 25th is Dumfries. The 28th, we're going across to Campbelltown because I think there's a fair bit of interest there as well. And then 1st of March, back down here in Stranar and finish up 5th of March up in Stirling. So I'd invite any farmer to come along. It's a FAS-funded uh, meeting, funded through the Scottish Government, Farm Advisory Service, and I think with all those meetings, it'll prove to be quite informative. So as many people as want can come along. I hope those farmers listening uh, have got something out of this podcast and I've been able to show that it's more than just a hole in the ground when you go to build a lagoon. Yeah, we encourage anyone who wants to, is interested in it to come along to those meetings. Thanks very much, Seamus. For more information, you can visit the Farm Advisory Service website. Um, and as, as we said, the, those meetings are coming up um, in early 2019 as well. And I'd encourage you to go along to those if you can. Thanks for listening.